Turn your Bibles this morning, Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story. I love Christmas as much as you do, but it just, the real message and the meaning kind of gets lost in all the flurry of activity, doesn't it? Let's begin here as we start our, our Christmas theme, Home for Christmas. There were shepherds, Luke 2 verse 8, living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Can you imagine? It's nighttime, and it's like this, what we would might call a floodlight of God's glory just shined around them. The angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, this town of Bethlehem. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared. These were more angels. They appeared with the angel praising God. And all these angels were saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. Now that's a motivation right there to walk in the favor of God so you can have the peace of God in a world that's filled with much uh, calamity. Well, this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why every year at this time of the year uh, you... Well, it's kind of turned into buying Christmas trees and, of course, the gifts and all the plays and things we go. But at the heart of it, this is why this holiday is not called a winter solstice. It's not called a, a, a holiday season in and of itself. It is called Christmas, C-H-R-I-S-T-M-A-S, the worship of Christ. Well, Christmas is a really neat time. Uh, like many of you, I go home, I visit family at Christmas. That's the tradition that my children have pretty much known since we lived in Texas. We're delighted to be here. This is where God planted us. My, my family's from a small town in Mississippi, and we load up the car, load up the presents, and head that way. And a Christmas tree has a lot of special meaning to me. When I was a boy, I lived on a farm, and, and my job in the summertime was to plow the crops. We raised cotton, soybeans, and, and I would look all summer long for the right Christmas tree. And when it came time, and sometimes in early December, we'd go out, and I had this cedar tree already picked out, and we'd cut it down, put it in the truck, you know, Dad and everybody, and we'd go home with that. But I've got great Christmas memories like you do. I mean, I sat on Santa's lap. I can remember going every Christmas Eve, we would go to my grandparents' house, I remember one Christmas Eve, it, it did something it rarely ever did, is it snowed in Mississippi, and it was a foot of snow, but I can remember Grandma's house at Christmas, and I remember one Christmas, I had, had a brother and a sister, and we were kind of like, you know, cats and dogs, if you know what I'm talking about. So Christmas morning, lo and behold, we go to the tree, and you'll never guess what was there. Switches and ashes. True story. These switches had a nice red bow around them and a little pile of ashes from the fireplace. And, of course, it didn't last too long. Santa had left the presents in the closet and all was well. But Mom was desperate, and she and Santa had schemed to, to do that. But home for Christmas. It's got a lot of great memories to you. But let me know it's not just that about the tree. You know, you had start probably expending energy from Black Friday and even, you know, prior to that, saving money and thinking about Christmas. All that activity for a good month of time, and it could be in 10 minutes, it's all over. I mean, I mean, not talking about lunch now, but the Christmas. I mean, if you're one of those families, it just, everybody tears into everything at once. In just a few moments, it's all over. Maybe, you know, you've kind of elongated as you get older, you want to enjoy it a little bit more, but just like that, and maybe you even bring the black plastic bag with you, you know, and there you go, you're opening it and you're putting it in, you're being the efficient mother, and I mean, it's just over, something that you thought wouldn't last, but you, you're supposed to last forever, and if that's all you've got, when Santa goes, your happiness goes. 
But if you can enjoy those traditions but yet be passionate about the manger, it's different. See, as a Christian, you can still enjoy fun things, but, but they're not the most important thing. The most important thing is what happened here 2,000 years ago because it's still happening today. Not in the sense that Christ is a child, but God still is involved in the affairs of the human race. How many know that? Well, you know the Christmas story. We'll read it over time, but obviously there's a shepherd boy here, and he's got a lamb on his shoulders, and they came to worship Christ. Uh, we've got the wise men. They've got their gifts. Likely they came a little later in time, but they came to bring something to Christ. It was worship. But the two people that we're going to look at today, Joseph and Mary, particularly Mary is the one we'll talk about today. Can you imagine how incredible it was to be chosen to give birth to the Son of God. Now, 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 I just said that statement, but it's just so beyond words when you think about it. It just eclipses human thought. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 28. I want you to begin to think of why Mary. Why did God choose Mary? Now, there were literally thousands upon thousands of young women that God could have chosen, but He chose her. Luke chapter 1, verse 28, the angel went to her and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. What does he say? The Lord is with you. I want you to pause just a minute. Here's a person that God looked at. And how many know not everyone is highly favored? Not everyone has that sense of God is with them. You know, yesterday clearly is um, the testimony was shared about the horse falling on that little boy. How many of us pretty fair to say God was somehow involved in that situation? Well, can I suggest to you that in life you can either be in a place where you are walking in God's favor, and that doesn't mean bad things won't happen to you. It doesn't mean you won't face challenges. But even in the challenge, you find the favor of God, and the favor of God takes you out of it. Lest we forget, a mother and a child, didn't, or a baby yet to be born, about to give birth, didn't have a place to sleep at night. And there was no hotel room available. Somebody forgot to make the reservation. But guess what? God found a manger, and that manger is even celebrated to this day. Why did God choose her? And could there be a message for us today? This is not just a historical look back at the Christmas story. I want you to ask yourself, is there perhaps a reason why God chose Mary that if I walk in her path, if I emulate the life that Mary lived, is it possible that God could use me in an incredible way? And I don't mean you having another baby now, okay? So let me take that off your shoulders right quick. But what I mean is that God could use you in some very special way while you walk this, the journey of this earth. So your life is a little more than the Christmas presents. I dare say most of you in here couldn't name one present that was under the tree for you last year. But that there's something that is enduring in your life. And that's what God wants to do with you. We're going to look at that this morning as we entitle the message, My Heart... Christ's home. Can you say that with me? My heart? Christ's home. And when we speak of our heart, we're talking about the real us. We're talking about that place where our attitudes, our values, our, our priorities, you know, who you really are in, in life. We're, we're trying to attach that heart this morning to your relationship with God because my identity as a Christian is not just in me. It's not just in the way that I dress. It's not just in, you know, how much money I have, the car that I drive. My identity is in Christ. And I want my heart to be a place where he is welcome to call his home. We're going to use this living room furniture in 
in, in a bit later in the message to, to show or really to provoke you to examine your own relationship with God and ask you what kind of relationship do you have with God. I think you'll get something out of it. But let's begin this morning, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Let's talk about Mary's heart towards God. So as I'm talking about Mary, I'm really talking about her relationship with God. And how many know everyone has one? Even the folks at the ACLU that are busy suing to stop manger scenes and all that stuff right now, they have a relationship with God. It's just one of antagonism. It's one of unbelief. But they've got a relationship with God. They've just chosen to ignore Him. Now, listen, you shouldn't, hopefully you shouldn't just uh, be angry or laugh at somebody like that, but they should be pitied because they're living life and all they've got is just this life. They should be pitied and prayed for that their eyes may be open because how many know they live in spiritual blindness? I hope my website's being monitored for those phrases. Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 36. Let, let me read this story to you. This is, this is the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary, and we're going to try to look in this passage and find some insight into Mary's heart so that you and I might imitate that, so God might use us in some great way. Verse 26, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. We'll come back to that. A descendant of King David. Verse 28, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And in verse 30, Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, For you have found favor with God. Now that same favor Mary had, you can have God's favor in your life today. That's what we all should be seeking for. You'll conceive and give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus. He'll be very great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David. This was King David, a man after, yeah, a man after God's own heart, the Bible tells us. Verse 33, Jesus will reign over Israel forever and his kingdom will never end. You know, the New Testament teaches us that before Jesus, he is now called the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Bible says one day before him, every knee yeah, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even the avowed atheist, even the avowed secularist that does not believe in creation, that believes we all came from pond scum. Isn't it possible that if your brain came from scum that it might not be working just accurately, that there may be a creator? It takes more faith to believe that everything came from nothing than it does that everything came from a deliberate act of a creator. The more science explores, the greater the microscope, the greater the telescope, the more they show us the glory of God and the deliberateness of the creator. This king who presides over everything. Um, Mary, verse 34, asked the angel, well, how could this happen? I'm a virgin. It's a good question, but her question was different than the way it was asked the week before. If you were here last week, Zechariah and Elizabeth, you remember, he's an older man, going to give birth to John the Baptist, but he basically said, well, how's my wife going to have a baby? She's old and I'm old. His words were marked by unbelief. Mary's were, were marked by this sense of, of faith, this sense of, wow, is this possible? You mean I'm a virgin, but I'm still going to have a baby? So it's different, and she had this. Verse 35, the angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. There's no hint of sexual intercourse, but yet somehow God implanted the seed of Christ into the womb of this woman. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The baby to be born will be holy. Now, holy is not a scary word. How many know the Bible says without holiness, no, no, one, will 
Yeah, no man will see God. God expects us to be holy. But holy is not your traditional picture of the, you know, the high church setting with the robes and the priests and the incense. That's not what holiness is. Holiness simply means being set apart to God. Holiness means being set apart from worldliness. Holiness means when you're watching television, you know a scene's going to come on that you shouldn't watch. Holiness means you, you hit the button. That's why God made DVRs, just in case you didn't know that, with that 30-second little jump ahead when you know that it's coming. See, holiness means that I want to live a life of purity. Not because I'm scared he's going to swat me, but because I love him and I fear him and I want to walk away that, 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 that pleases him. Holiness is something that you and I should have every day of our life. It is living a life that's set apart to God. Um, the baby will be holy and, you will be, and he will be called the Son of God. And verse 38, which is just rich with meaning, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. Now, once again, God didn't chose, chose, choose this woman by accident. He chose her with deliberateness and purpose. And I want to suggest to you why he chose Mary as we see some of her beliefs and some of her behavior. It's worth writing down. The first one in verse 27, she was a virgin, which simply means to us she was sexually pure, but perhaps bigger than that is she was willing to live a life of purity. How many know purity pleases God? Well, we live in a world that's very impure. There's, there's things on television. It's almost today like there's no standards in America at all. Uh, you, you pick that up. You just about can't even pick up the mail anymore. They may be selling something, and it's just something that would be prosecuted as pornographic not too many years ago. But it's like there's no boundaries in our society whatsoever. But how many know God wants us to live a, a pure life? He wants us to live a life that's set apart to Him in all that we do. Verse 38, and this was the bigger verse, when Mary said, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. She had childlike faith. Which simply means Mary believed anything God said was possible. Anything God says is possible. Another one, verse 38, in that same verse, she was obedient. She was willing to do whatever God says. Now, we're painting a portrait that I'll suggest to you that if you endeavor to live this way, you too will receive this blessing and these benefits from God that God might use you in a big way. Willing to do whatever God asked and submitted to God and committed to serve Him. Let me just say those one more time. Now, I preach these themes all the time, so I'm going a little quick this morning. But she had a life of purity. She had childlike faith. She was willing to do whatever God asked. Now, that's a pretty big deal. But how many know the willingness is the thing that God's looking for? And how many know that we can grow more willing each day? I, I don't have enough self-discipline today to be the person God wants me to be, but I can grow into it. I can come more willing to serve God. Now, the way that I try to start my day, and I do this almost every day of my life, somewhere early in the morning, I say this to the Lord. Lord, good morning. Thanks for watching me over me during the night. I want to give you my life today. Lord, I want you to use my life to make a difference in this world. And I've got this little thing. You may think it's comical, but it works for me. At some point, I literally put my hands up like this and say, Lord, I'm like a sailboat, and I can't make my life go one inch without you. Because it's in Christ I, I live and move and have my being, and I try to recognize that. That's what humility is. It's recognizing that everything I am is because of Him. And I put my little sailboat up, and I said, Lord, you supply the wind in my life today. You decide how much wind and which way we're going to go. And Jesus, I want you to sit in the back of that ship, and you, be, you use the rudder. You steer me wherever you want me to go. Now, you say, that's kind of an odd picture. But isn't it the Lord's Prayer when Jesus told us to pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven, and I add, especially in me. I can't control the earth. I can't control my wife. I can't control you. But I can have, have influence on me. And I position myself like that every day. Well, if we were to look further, and I don't have time to read these verses, but if you were to look in verses 46 through 56, you would see perhaps there's a, in your Bible, there's a little phrase where it's called Mary's song. And when Mary met Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, he literally, she literally said these words. And, and you could see in these verses, in verse 46, you would see that Mary, Mary was a worshiper, that she was someone who was not ashamed or afraid to give her worship to Christ. She was very humble. She described herself as a lowly servant. She didn't think too highly of herself. She was not puffed up with pride. Now, how many know God always resists the who? Yeah, he always resists a proud person, which is an arrogant, self-reliant person that thinks it's all about me. He'll resist that person. But who does he give grace to? The humble person. So clearly she was a humble person. Verse 49, she was submissive to God. Verse 50 is a big one. She feared God. If I were to ask you today, do you have the fear of God in your life? I sure hope you'd say yes. There's two great things that motivate me in my everyday life. One is the love of God and one is the fear of God. And you need both. If all you have is the fear of God, you're going you're gonna to be forcing yourself to serve so austere taskmaster. If all you see is that God is this big sugar daddy that doesn't care anything about anything but just loves me, you're going to get a warped view of God. How many know you need a little bit of both? See, when you and I are driving our vehicles, you need to see the policeman every once in a while. Everybody said. Yeah, because automatically you take your foot in more of an upward position because you're going a little fast. You need to see that policeman. When you do, you stop looking in the mirror and going. Because that is dangerous. It is more dangerous when you're, when you're driving and going. You're, this is your steering now. You need some authority to get you on track, right? So you need the love of God and you need the fear of God. And Mary had both of those in her life. Uh, she was spiritually hungry. And, and lastly, she was willing, chapter 2, verse 35, willing to sacrifice and suffer for Jesus. You remember the prophecy that she got that there was going to be, uh, 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 she was going to be pierced in her own soul? Well, she literally was able to walk with Jesus all the way to the cross. Now, this is a portrait I'll suggest to you that paints a picture about why God used Mary in such a significant way. And I'll suggest to you we can, we can put a, an umbrella over it all and say it this way. She lived a life that was surrendered to God. Let me say it again. She lived a life that was surrendered to God. She had learned that wonderful mark of maturity that she has taken up her cross, denied herself, to follow Him. Because how many know that's where the secret of your success is going to be? All right, now let me move from Mary, and let me move to you and I. And I'm going to suggest to you that you can have one of four relationships with God, and I'm going to try to illustrate those in my living room furniture. One of four relationships with God. Now this living room, if I could use it this way to illustrate the fact that um, this living room is your heart. This is your home right now. And again, our message this morning is my heart, Christ's home. But let me suggest to you, and you may be here, this, you may be this morning very inquisitive. Somebody might have forced you to come to church. I can look across the audience and pretty much tell who wants to be here and who doesn't. But maybe you're sitting in this chair, and your whole life is caught up with the tree. 
Now, the tree is bigger than Christmas in this analogy I'm using. This tree represents the world. It represents a life that's lived for success, a life that's lived for happiness, a life that's lived to have fun, a life that's lived that it's all about me, maybe a life that's lived for power. Uh, it's a life that's pretty much where I'm the center of my world, and I do pretty much what I want to do, and I totally ignore the manger. I ignore Christ. I ignore God trying to reach out to me and turn my heart towards Him, my back is just turned to Him. Now, for some people, they ignore Him and they still do it in a very polite way. They are what I would call a kind of like a polite atheist or a polite agnostic. I mean, you know, they don't believe and they don't really care what you do. Just leave me alone and they don't say much about it. But there is an overt hostility that some people have that they wouldn't turn their back towards that manger until God literally has to put a hook in their jaw and force them to turn their... Uh, but you see them in the world today. For example... The ACLU will be happy to show up at your school if your kids are having a Christmas program and they're singing songs about Christ Mass, or the Christmas story. They don't want you to say that. They want you to say holidays. Oh, we can't say in our stores, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, because we want to be inclusive. If, we, uh, if you happen to uh, work at Chase Bank, one of their branches this past week, someone donated a Christmas tree, a Christmas tree, to, and it was not enough just to call it a holiday tree. That's not gone over too well in America. Um, and basically what they did, though it was donated, they took it out of their branch office because they didn't want to offend anyone. It, it's almost like it's only the people that are offended that get their way in America. Isn't that kind of sad today? But there's a group of people that want nothing to do with Christ be they respectful of it or hostile and don't want it to be in their face and don't want you to do it either, but their back is turned to God. But I want to tell you, those people should be at a minimum prayed for but also pitied because they live in spiritual blindness. It, it, it makes me angry when I read stories like that, when I think about the love of God that Christ came to the cross, but yet people are so hostile towards the message of Christ. But I want to get past my anger and realize they're just spiritually blinded and only doing what they're able to do because they don't have any truth. I just pray that God would somehow reach them. But now here's another place you may be in. You may not be the hostile person. You may periodically look back over your shoulder at the manger. Now this does not mean you're a Christian, but you at least acknowledge that God exists. You you're smart enough to know that this world is, is, is not some giant accident. When they try to shove evolution down your throat, you're smart enough to at least know that there's none of these transitional species walking around. Come on. The best they can show you, you know, in their journals is for evolution is maybe when a bird changes from one color to the next color or a rabbit changes, but it's never from species to species. So you're smart enough to know that if they say all oh, this, there's no evidence. They have to find some skull that they think is the missing link, and lo and behold, it turns out to be an animal or something like that. But they're striving to find it, but you're smart enough to know that there's something about God that's true. This person would even come to church periodically. There's something in their heart that draws them. Now, mind you, they're not a Christian. Their knowledge of God is in their mind. It's not in their heart. Christ is not at home in their heart. Now, it can happen. But this is the person, when they get in trouble, might even pray to God. But when the trouble's over, they're once again pretty much focused on living their life, their way, and doing their own thing. But I want to tell you, something incredible can happen. If you look back at the manger long enough, sooner or later, you'll realize that it's real. God will begin giving you what's called the gift of repentance to lead you to life. And what you'll do is you'll change chairs. 
And rather than just looking at the world and success and what I'm using as a, a picture of a Christmas tree, you, you change places in your living room of your heart and you begin to look full face towards Christ. Now, in your life, I would suggest that this is a portrait of someone that's a Christian. You have at least made an attempt to reach out to God. You've at least said, I do believe that you are real. I don't understand it all, but I, I, I believe you're real, and I want, I want you to be my Savior. I believe there's a heaven. I believe there's a hell. I'm not willing to take the chance. I'm willing to live for you, but, but, but here's a problem. You're still kind of living in your world. The manger is somewhat far off. If I can say it this way, you have a divided heart. And I don't just say you. I look in the mirror and I see me. Because I think I can move from kneeling to that manger and coming back on this couch on a somewhat regular basis. I can let things get in my heart that separate me from God. I can pick up some old habits again. I can start hanging with some old friends doing some old things. I can kind of shut the voice of the Holy Spirit off. You know what I'm talking about? I can begin to grieve. I can just begin to say no to God. I can just get this, I'm tired and I'm stressed, and I can just do a flesh binge or something like that. Or maybe God may be speaking to Pastor Mike to give me that $10 radio, and he can just say, no, you know, I'm not going to do And you know I'm just teasing now. But, 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 but God may ask you to do something. You know, God could speak to you today, and he could say, I want you to give that $100 bill that you got in your pocket. I want you to give it to somebody in need. I've had it happen to me. And my first response is usually, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> but if it's God, how many know at some point you've got to get off this couch and you've got to come and kneel at the manger? Because the couch, though you're looking at Christ, it's a divided heart. Remember what Jesus called us? Jesus didn't call us just to believe facts about Him. What did Jesus say? If you want to follow me, take up your cross. Yeah, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. You and I have got to come to the manger. Now, now I think this is what Mary did. Now, it wasn't a manger, but it was, it was surrendering to God. I think this is what Mary did because, she, remember, she said, I'm a servant of the Lord. There's something transforming that happens when you yield your life to God, when you want Him to lead you, to guide you, to be the Lord of your life. Now, this is more, not just a vocational call. This is everyday life. I, had, I took an extra long walk with my wife the other day, not because she'd done anything wrong. I just needed to talk about some things. But I had just let some junk accumulate inside me. You don't let that happen, do you? No. The people in the second ser first service this morning, they, th th all of them did. But I just let some stuff get inside of me, and, and, and I was, had gotten angry, and I even had a little unforgiveness. Now, I know you never do that, and I'm just confessing. If you want to vote me out next week, you can because of that. But I had some stuff, and I realized I was wrestling with the cross, the Christ, and I, didn't, I wanted to sit on the couch and be angry rather than come to the cross and forgive someone who, in my opinion, didn't deserve it. Because didn't Jesus say, if you forgive men their sins? Yeah, but if you don't, I won't. So what I'm talking, when I'm talking about this yielded thing, it could be something as simple as, I want you to redirect your vacation this year, and I want you to go on a missions trip. I want you to take care of a needy family. I don't want anybody to know. I don't want you to get tax credit for it. I want you to do something on the slide. Don't let your left hand... It could be a number of things. It could be take some of those cards and invite someone, and you're afraid that they might laugh at you. Well, who cares? See, whatever it is, though, that you're endeavoring to surrender your life to Christ. So I want to ask you, what kind of relationship do you have with God?
I'll tell you the kind that he wants to have with you. Listen, you may be in one of four places, and I'm going to close this morning. You could be someone who is antagonistic toward God. You can be in this chair, and you don't give a rip about that manger. It's just the tree. It's just the world that's all about you. I don't believe that's the case, but there could be someone like that today. But I do believe there's probably a number of people that are here this morning that are sitting in this chair, and all you're doing is looking over your shoulder because your whole life has been lived up to today looking towards yourself and the world and the things of this world. But for some reason, you're starting to look back at the manger. See, today is a day where you can make a shift and change chairs. I think many of us, perhaps most of us, are sitting in this chair today. I know I move, I, I rotate from this chair to that cross on a frequent basis in my life because I struggle with having a divided heart. Anybody else with me this morning? What kind of relationship do you have with God? How much liberty does God have to, to you where He can tell you to do something and you say yes? How hard is it for God to convince you to do what He wants to do? Either some personal moral issue or some act of service for Him and His kingdom. That's what I'm talking about today, a yielded heart, a pliable heart in the hand of God, a heart that says, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Or maybe you are where you need to be, surrendered as best you know how at that cross. I'm going to close with this. There's a gift that the Lord would appreciate you give to Him. Now, this gift can't be found on the Internet. You cannot Google, what shall I give Jesus for Christmas? It, you will not get a, a reply to that. You cannot go to a Sharper Image Catalog or whatever you like. You can't go to the sale at Dillard's. You can't find this gift there, but there's something that only you can give to the Lord Jesus. You say, well, what does he need? Well, let me tell you this. He doesn't need your stuff. He doesn't he, he even need you to do something. How many know he found a donkey to talk to Balaam? But what he needs is a gift that only you can give that really embodies who you are if you want your heart to be Christ's home. And you know what? Only you can do this. Only I can do this for me. There's only one thing He really wants from me, and it's my whole heart. Because the Bible says, you remember when Jesus asked what was the greatest commandment in all of the Bible, what did He say? That you would love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. When I say our heart, again, I'm talking about our priorities, our values, our dreams, our desires, our choices, that Christ would be all in all. Now listen, you can still go and, and see Santa Claus after church and sit on his lap. You can still play golf or go hunting or do the things that you do, but you're not doing it from a place of being on that couch. You're doing it from a place of, Lord, I've surrendered my life to you. God has for you a life of significance, but he has a life of joy. He has a life of purpose that you can never find anywhere else, friend, because God created you with a design. So your choice as mine is, am I going to love Him with all my heart or am I going to love Him with half my heart? Am I going to love Him with a fourth of my heart and just be really glad I'm going to heaven? I think I want a little more than that. I want to live a step beyond that this Christmas. I want to move towards giving Jesus my all. Come on, give Him a big hand today because He's worthy of our praise. We're going to close this morning in prayer. But I'd like to ask you now, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? You don't come to church just to hear information. 
The living God is alive and well. The Spirit of God is, lives in every Christian. The Holy Spirit somehow can speak to every unbeliever, the one that's not yet become a believer in Christ. So God is speaking to you. I wonder what He's saying today. Would you bow your head just a moment? I want to pray. And more than just me praying, I want you to pray. And I want you to just take a moment and as best you can articulate it, what is God saying to you now? Where are you? Are you on the chair ignoring Christ? Are you looking back over your shoulder but still living for yourself? Have you swapped places and now on the couch beholding Him? But yet you still behold Him with a divided heart. I'll tell you where He wants you to be. He wants us all together at the foot of the cross to kneel at the manger and give Him the gift of our heart. Christ's home. Holy Spirit, I want to pray that, first of all, for myself, I willingly say today, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life. Let it be done, Lord, in everything that I touch. Let it be done in the way that I spend the resources you've entrusted to me. Let it be done in the words that come out of my mouth, my values, my priorities, the way I treat people. Have your way in me. Would you just pray something like that? Would you look at those areas that you have been a little unwilling to turn over to Christ? It could be a relationship that you know is wrong. It could be mishandling of your resources. It could be something, bitterness in your heart, unforgiveness. It could be a secret sin. It could be something, whatever it may be. But Jesus, we want you to come and we want to give you that gift as best we can today. I want you to look at me just a minute. Here's how we're going to close our service. We do it every week. In just a few minutes, we're going to have one more worship song. We'll sing it through, and then you're free to be dismissed. Sure hope you'll come and have lunch with us, kind of hang out, or at least get some to-go stuff in the lobby. But don't go just yet. Don't turn me off just yet. Because the Holy Spirit wants to do something special in many of our lives this morning. In just a minute, there's men and women that have been praying all week that they might have a something special to pray for you and give to you from God Himself when they pray for you, that God's Holy Spirit might be in this altar. I know many of you have heard something today that maybe there's some act of sacrifice, some surrender, and, and, and it's good to just, like tell somebody, just to pray it, to bring it to the altar to surrender. But we'll pray for anything today. I mean, you could be sick, you could have needs in your life, you may be hurting, you may be depressed. Listen, here's one thing I know. Everybody needs prayer. It's not just people that are spiritually bad people. Every, listen, I've already told you half a dozen times today, I need prayer. See, we need it as people. We want to give you that privilege for God to touch you. But I want to speak to a very select group of people before we do that today. I want to speak to the people that are sitting in that chair, the chair on your right. And you've just been looking over your shoulder. And today's the day you want to change chairs. And what that simply means is today is the day I want to commit my life to Christ. Today is a, a day that I want to begin to serve the Lord. I want my life to change today. I need forgiveness of sins. And let me tell you why. Today we, we all share at least one thing in common as of right now. Right now, every one of us are alive. Every one of us are kicking. Every one of us have life to live. But at some point, your life will be over. We whistle at the graveyard when we go by, but at some point, it's going to be over. 
And the Bible tells us this about death. First of all, it says it's appointed unto all men once to die, and then what? Yeah, then, then you're going to be judged by God for all eternity, the outcome of, of your life, your choices, your decisions. You're ignoring, you're rejecting, or your embrace of Christ will determine heaven or hell for you. See, here's the problem we all share today. Every one of us in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, we've all sinned. And the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Yeah, but it doesn't leave us there because death brings judgment. See, the manger is a place of hope. But the gift of God is what? It's eternal life. And how does it come? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the reason Christianity is so exclusive is because of only Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and was able to sacrifice His life for ours. One day, if we could project to that day where you and I are going to stand before God and give an account for our life, you literally will be there by yourself. No mom, no dad, no, nobody else. It'll just be you. And you're standing to God and your name will be called. I don't know how God will do it, but your name will be called in some fashion. And before you're able to utter one word, before, Christ, or before Satan has one accusation against you, Jesus Christ will stand and say, this one belongs to me. The bloodstained hand covered their sins. You say, well, that's a pretty good deal on that day. How does that happen? It happens this way, my friend. You believe in Him and you turn your life to follow Him. It's as simple as that, that you believe that this Christ was born of a virgin, that He lived a perfect life. He died, but He didn't stay dead. He was raised from the grave, and today He's at the right hand of God. You believe the core of conservative Christianity. You believe in the Christ on the cross, and you've turned to follow Him. I ask you today, have you ever turned to follow Him? Or have you only looked over your shoulder? You can do it today. I want you to bow your heads. And I'm going to ask all the Christians that are in the room today to pray for you because God loves you and He cares about you very much. We're not offering to you to join the church. You can certainly do that later, but what we're talking about right now is about you making a commitment to Christ, is about you receiving His forgiveness and following Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. I wonder if you're here today and say, Pastor, you're talking to me now. I need to get right with God. For some of you, maybe the first time that's ever happened. For others, you might have gotten away from God, and you want to come back to Him today. But either case, we want to pray for you today. So if that's you, and you say, Pastor, I want to get right with God, pray for me today. Would you just lift your hand real high? Do it quickly this morning. I'm out of time. God bless you, pal. God bless you. God bless you over here to my left. I see your hand. Others that are here this morning, I need to get right with God. Do it quickly this morning. I need to get right with God. Let me ask you this question. If you're having a struggle on the inside, should I or shouldn't I? What do you think the Lord would have you do? Who, there's another spiritual force at work in the world today. The evil one wants to hold you back. Let me ask you again. Do you need to break free from that and turn to Christ? Lift your hand real quickly this morning. Anyone else today? All right. Praise the Lord. All right. Look at me this morning. Here's how we're going to close our service today. In just a minute, all of us are going to stand. We're going to sing that song through one time. But when you stand, our prayer team is going to make their way out of the chairs, and they're going to come stand up here. I want you that lifted your hand, I want you to just come down. I want you to make a public profession. Tell somebody what you did. Let us pray for you, commit your life, recommit your life, and give you something that's going to help you the next step. But we also want to offer prayer for anyone that's here today, any needs you have. We believe God will meet with you here. Come on, stand to your feet. Just begin to sing. Prayer team is coming. I want you to just slip on out of your chair. Come on up. Somebody will be with you. You'll meet a friend around this altar. Come on up here, pal. Anybody else needs prayer? You come on up. Come on, let somebody pray with you today. Before you go home today, you need God to help you in some area.